Good morning, everyone online. I won't say good morning to all of you here because we've uh, we've already been in fellowship together this morning. We've got a small crew here, but uh, it's good to be together. Aren't those incredible words um, from Isaiah and from the Book of Revelation? I, I'm I'm looking forward to going through those this morning. So this is the uh, oh, you need to light the candles, Michaela. Do you want me to do that? You want to do it? Okay. Michaela's going to come. As I'm, as I'm talking, it's okay. She'll light the candles. I, I want to, just a couple notes. We've had some technological issues this morning, so thank you for bearing with us. We didn't realize that there were some terms and conditions that changed with YouTube and Mevo, um, and so uh, we'll get those figured out for next Sunday uh, and, and get back on, but right now we're just on Facebook, so hopefully you've been able to catch us there um, if you want to be maybe, you know, looking out for one another and, and let, letting people know where we are. Um, I've got some echo here, Daryl, too. Okay, you're figuring that out. We've, there's, there's, we have had a host of things this morning. It's okay. The Lord is with us. I um, also want to make you aware that uh, we sent out a, a video for kids' ministry this morning. Uh, and so uh, those of you uh, with older kids in our children's ministry, we've got a new video that just came out this morning. Um, so this is the fourth Sunday of Advent. We've got four candles lit. Uh, we are right on the cusp of the celebration that the end of Advent is. Um, do you want me to do something, Daryl, here? Like, no? Do you want, if you want me to use the handheld, I can do that too? No? Okay. We'll just, I'll ignore this uh, for myself. But this, so we're almost here, right? We're almost at the countdown to Christmas the anticipation that it brings for so many. And Advent is about the coming of Jesus. It's, it's about embracing this longing, this waiting, and the hope that defines the coming of the Messiah. And, and, you know, although we live on the other side of this history, that as followers of Jesus, we're saying, yes, the Messiah has come, we're also embracing the longing and the waiting and the hoping that comes with Jesus' coming return. And we're going, Jesus, come. And so this was very much also on the minds of the early church and the writers of the New Testament. The Apostle Paul, he talked about this quite a bit, the end of Thess uh, 1 Thessalonians 4 and then going on into chapter 5 of that letter to the church, he spoke of the hope that we have in Jesus' return when we will be with the Lord forever. And then 1 Corinthians 15, he went into that there a lot in that chapter. And he, he said that all in Jesus are made eternally alive, that he is coming back for those who belong to him. Peter also spoke of this in his letters where he, he talked about um, when Jesus will be revealed. He said, even though you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you don't see him now, that's, that's us. You believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. And then in 2 Peter 3, in his second letter, he talked about how the day of the Lord that is coming. And he says, what kind of people shall you be in light of this as we look forward to this day? And then in Hebrews, it speaks of those who are eagerly awaiting the return of Jesus. And so I, I mention all that, just, and that's just snippets of the New Testament, because the apostles and the early church had this anticipation for the return of Jesus. Okay, so now here we are, 2,000 years on, and we're waiting. And it's okay to admit that there's tension in this. That, that Peter, he said it, he said, 
With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. Just wrap your head around that. But we're waiting and we're going 2,000 years. And Peter said, that's like two days to the Lord. I think C.S. Lewis, he had... He probably wrote some of the most brilliant thoughts on the concept of time as it relates to God. I want to just share a little bit of this with us. He said this, he said, almost certainly God is not in time. His life does not consist of moments following one another. If a million people are praying to him at 1030 tonight, he need not listen to them all in that one little snippet in which we call 1030. 1030 is always the present for him. Now, if you're wondering, okay, just think about that for a moment. He, he provides a, an example of this, C.S. Lewis, when, um, kind of in his, from his writing. So he says, I write, Mary laid down her work. Next moment came a knock at the door. For Mary, who has to live in the imaginary time of my story, there is no interval between putting down the work and hearing the knock. But I, who am Mary's maker, do not live in this imaginary time at all between writing the first half of that sentence and the second. I might sit for three hours and think steadily about Mary. The hours I spent in doing so would not appear in Mary's time, the time inside the story, at all. That's, that's, that's cool, right? Now, you want another example of what C.S. Lewis, how he, how he kind of worked this out? He says, if you picture time as a straight line along which we have to travel, then you must picture God as the whole page on which the line is drawn. We come to parts of the line only one by one. We have to leave A behind before we get to B and cannot reach C until we leave B behind. God, from above or outside of all the round, contains the whole line and sees it all. Okay. So I want to just now put this into the context of COVID for us. And whatever you think about COVID, we cannot deny its worldwide impact right now. In lieu of, in light of eternity, I should say, COVID is just a blip. It is a blip of on the scale of eternity for God's people. And so wherever we are along that line, God sees it all. He, he sees all of history. He knows the end. And I'm, in saying this, I'm not seeking to minimize what we're going through, but we need perspective. We need measured and mature response to what we are experiencing. Because to minimize or suggest that, you know, COVID is just a hoax or, you know, it's a, a pandemic. We've heard that bandied about a little bit. That's dishonoring. It actually disregards so many who have been affected and are suffering as a result. And, and to suggest, you know, okay, if you take a vaccine, how can you take a vaccine? That's the mark of the beast, don't you know? That's, that's at worst an abuse of scripture, or at best just a misunderstanding of revelation. But equally, equally, just as equal, to be consumed by fear and anxiety, to live as though this crisis that we're in is on the scale of the Black Plague is just not understanding history. And, and we have to think about this. We've been immersed in months, for months, with a news cycle, news cycles that are all just fixated on COVID. You open up any news cycle, what's the first thing? COVID, COVID, COVID. We've been influenced by social media like no other generation before us. Millions of people out there with their own websites claim, I've got the truth. 
So we look at all this and we go, is this just one massive conspiracy? Or is it because what, what's happening is because this is a logical response for the systems of this world? Where the systems of, in the systems of this world, there's overreaction, there's overstepping on the part of people and on the part of governments. Now, you ever think about why that might be? I think one answer can be that safety and health have become gods in our lives. We worship safety and health. What, what else, think about this, what else do we have when we believe, meaning we live as though this life is all there is? If you believe that this life is all there is, then safety and health become gods. And so we avoid death, we avoid the reality of it. We've done this for decades in our culture where we just don't talk about death. We, stick, we even stick our elderly in homes. You know why? Well, big reason, we don't want to have to deal with that part of life. Stick them away, then I don't have to see that. I can just go on living my life. We don't know how to handle death and loss. Why is that? I think that we have to look at what are the cultural norms that have been embraced right now, widespread. My health, my happiness, and my safety are the top priority. Don't infringe on that. We live for the dot of right now, not the line. We live for right now, the present, this little dot that's the present. We, or we live for freedom 65 or whatever it is, freedom 55. But we're not living for eternity. And so now, and now we've got generations, like multiple generations who've come one after the other, and we have been immersed in hedonism, meaning the pursuit of pleasure and enjoyment. That's all that life is about. And we're immersed in hedonism, materialism, and consumerism. And it is just all-encompassing. We've enjoyed, and, and this is coupled with, we've enjoyed a time of peace and prosperity on this earth right now, like no other time in the history of this earth. The Western world is as prosperous as any time in history. And so we've given way to this philosophy of unlimited potential and progress. It's never going to end. It's just going to keep getting better. It's aided by huge technological advancements. There's no limit to what we can build and who we can become. That is kind of a philosophy of this age. I think there's a story in Genesis about that. I say all this because societal impact is profound. We are unable to handle pain, adversity. We're an on-demand culture. It's about instant. It's about gratification right in the moment. It's a lack of self-control. We see it everywhere. That's why addictions are spiraling. I'm grieved by this. I'm grieved by this in my own life. Like, how do we... We need to see what's happening. I'm not saying COVID's not serious. What I'm saying is there is a bigger, more mature perspective in all this. And if we are to cultivate and grow longing and expectation for the coming of Jesus in our lives, like we see in the New Testament, while admitting and accepting that there's tension, there's tension in this, we're waiting if we're going to do this, then we have to be willing to assess ourselves. What am I living for? Meaning, what do I or we, if you're married, have a spouse, what do we or I believe and profess as truth in my life, for my life? 
What are my values? What are my core beliefs? What is the vision for how I live and the decisions that I make? What has shaped and formed this in me? Is my perspective shaped and guided by immersion in an understanding of Scripture? Am I being immersed in the Word of God and understanding the Word of God and seeking to know the Word of God and seeking to understand that God has spoken about where we're headed? So to help, to help center this on the Lord and His Word, I want to, the rest of our time here this morning, I want to focus on an eternal perspective for us in light of Advent in light of what we're, where, where we are, what we're currently experiencing, because I do believe so much good can come out of this time. God meets us in times like these, and we grow. So my text this morning is the passages that Michaela read, and my title is The Everlasting Light of God's Glory. It's talked about there in those passages, the light, everlasting light, God's glory that's going to be everywhere. And so as followers of Jesus, the New Testament would draw us to be stirred and to embrace questions like this. Where are we headed? What does the future look like? What does it hold? Paul and Peter and others, the other writers of the New Testament, they were stirring the church in that regard. These are the types of questions that influence and direct all of our behavior, even subconsciously. What we believe, what, what is the telos, it's Greek for meaning what is the goal, the end, the purpose of my life? What is the telos of your life? Hope being such a key factor in that. So when I was 14, I thought that I had the telos in mind for that summer. My end goal that summer was to save up enough money from my Winnipeg Free Press paper route that I had to purchase a custom skateboard from Royal Sports. And my friend Charles and I, we had made the decision that we were going to do this together. And so uh, countless times we went into that skateboard shop and we would look at the, at the skateboards and at the wheels and at the bearings and at the trucks, all the different parts of those skateboards, and we would dream about what we were going to build when we had the money. Now, I needed, I, I st- this was so ingrained in me, I remember how much money I needed. In 1993, I needed $225, right around there, to buy this skateboard. That was a lot of money for a 14-year-old kid. But I had the telos in mind. I knew what that end goal was. I dreamt of that skateboard. And I, it, was, I, it was everything for me that summer. And so I dreamed of that board as I saved and as I went without things in my life because I had the telos. And I remember then the day came where I had my money and I remember going to the store and, and, and I picked out already the board that I wanted. I knew what I wanted. I knew the grip that I wanted. I knew the trucks. I knew everything. The wheels, everything specifically was custom built to what Paul's telos was. It was a beautiful skateboard. And that vision that I had became a reality. Now, there is a telos for followers of Jesus when it comes to eternity. And I want to say it's so foreign to our culture, even the Western evangelical church at times, where we need to create and stir this vision for ourselves of what is to come. Why? So that like that skateboard, we stay focused We're full of hope. We're cultivating desire for this future in our lives. 
to guard ourselves from being swept up in the reactive forces right now of our day that would want to get us focused and consumed by all sorts of things. We have the gift of passages like these that we read today in Isaiah and Revelation to awaken us to the telos of this earth and all creation where everything is headed. I want to, it's helpful to, to understand here that the, the writers of the New Testament were immersed in the Hebrew scriptures. Peter, John, Paul. It was, it was part of the fabric of their spiritual DNA, if you will. And we see this in the passage that we read from John's Revelation this morning. Because when you compare the verses, when you have the verses of Revelation 21 in front of you, you look at those verses and you see what John is trying to write what he saw and you put those next to Isaiah 60, the connections are obvious, like they're all over the place. And so we can see how the words of Isaiah and the prophetic promises they included must have permeated John's mind and heart. And we're not even taking into account the work of the Holy Spirit in that and how the Spirit was working as John was writing and recalling what he had seen from the Lord. But clearly the words of Isaiah are all over this and other parts of John's revelation. I was, I was talking with Daryl about this yesterday, actually, that um, a couple years back, uh, I took, the, I, I memorized all of Ephesians, the book, the entire thing, I memorized it. And I haven't, me- I don't have it memorized now because <laughs> there's a ton of upkeep that goes on with memorizing it. But I, I was explaining to him yesterday that even though like there's, I have it very much in my my brain and in my heart, like as I'm reading new, the New Testament and other parts of the word, there's things now because I immersed myself in memorizing Ephesians for so long that there's parts that jump out at me. And I could tell you sort of the general flow of Ephesians right now, even if I don't have it all memorized. Like I know that book. I see it in my mind's eye. And it, and it influences now as I see connections in the rest of the New Testament. Now think about this. Peter, John, Paul, they had the entire Hebrew scriptures memorized. All of it. It's all, all of it. Like, forget about just one little book. They had everything. Can you imagine if you memorized the entire New Testament and all of that is in your brain? It, it soaks how you see things. It permeates things. See, and Isaiah and God's people, they would have understood his words to speak of the, the redemption of Israel. That's what they looked at at these words as explained. God's promises to restore the nation of Israel on this earth. No one, no one apart from God could have understood the depth of those promises, how they speak of the Messiah and yet what is still to come. Like even today, what is still yet to come? We haven't even seen the full consummation of what Isaiah was writing there. And this is, this is what John seems to be grappling with and processing, this vision of the new heavens and the new earth with the new, with the new Jerusalem being the fulfillment of these words of Isaiah. And so this calls us to read these texts with the future in mind, like meaning this is what awaits us, stirring longing, expectation in us, accepting the tension that yes, we are waiting for this. We need to be stirred. We need to keep growing in the eternal perspective. Why? So that it frames our perspectives in the here and now, that we are stirred. This is what's coming. In the midst of a hedonistic, consumeristic, materialistic culture, 
This is what's coming. This is the new heavens and the new earth. So I want to cultivate that vision for what's coming. What do, what do we see there in Revelation? What marks this coming reality? Well, first, it's full of God's presence. Verse 22, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. So this, this brings us kind of full circle back to the beginning of these messages that we've been in, presence, formation, and witness. We are made for God's presence, to be pursuing God's presence and to be carriers of God's presence because this is the telos for all who follow Jesus. In the new heavens and the new earth, there is no temple. There are no church buildings in the new heavens and the new earth. There doesn't have to be. The Lord Almighty and the Lamb, that's John's metaphor for the ultimate, for Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice who shed his blood for all. He is the Lamb, capital L. That's its temple in the new Jerusalem, in the new heavens, in the new earth. The presence of God is everywhere. There's no separation. And there's an important distinction here because in the New Testament, it talks about how we are temples of the Holy Spirit. But that is dependent on the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's not about us. It's about God, his presence. God's presence in the new heavens and the new earth is about total immersion. Nothing outside of his presence. Paul kind of alludes to this in Acts 17, 28, where he says, in him we live, we move, and we have our being. Everything is in him. Daryl Johnson, he makes the point when he talks about these verses in Revelation. He says, all that makes God be God freely flows in every part of the city. So pursuing more of God's presence right here in the now is about looking to eternity. It's embracing this coming reality for us as the people of God, where nothing, nothing exists outside of God. It's all about the Lord. Number two, what do we see here? Well, we see that this city is full of God's nature. Verse 23, the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. It doesn't say that the city doesn't have a sun or a moon. It says it has no need for it due to the brightness of God's glory. We're, in the, we're going to be in the new heavens and the new earth. We are still going to see the sun. We're still going to have, the, the, the solar system is still there. I, I think that that's clear in the word at least. So it's not that it's not there, but the glory of the Lord is physically manifested in the city to such an extent that John, the only way John can describe it is, there's no need for the sun or the moon. We don't even need it. Isaiah 60 verse one there, it says, arise, shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. Verse two says, his glory appears over you. The Greek word for glory is the word doxa, as in doxology, which means the heaviness of God's manifestation. Like, like not in a bad way, where God manifests himself so much that there is an immersion with his nature and his character where everything shines with his essence. In his vision of this place, remember what Isaiah said there? He says, Isaiah says, the walls are called salvation and the gates praise. Like, 
What he's, what, I think what Isaiah's trying to get at is the very essence, the very foundation of this city shines with the nature of God. It's just who God is. And the source of this light, this is what we have to wrap our head around. The source of this light is Jesus. The light radiates from him. Like, is there any higher affirmation for Jesus, what he has done and who he is? That the lamb is the lamp. Philippians talks about how we are to shine as lights in the world. The New Testament again and again speaks of living in the light of Christ. Live as children of light, it says in Ephesians. The source of this light is what? It's the presence of Jesus in us. And I think that it's pointing us to the age to come, that in the age to come, we will be fully immersed in his light. That light is in us now. Third thing we see in the city, it's full of the nations. Verse 24 to 26. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Talks about in Revelation, earlier in Revelation 21.3, talks about the literal meaning of the words there is all God's chosen peoples, plural. It's very uh, specific plural in the Greek. Isaiah 63 talks about nations, meaning people groups. Think of it as people groups will come to your light. So when it speaks there of the kings of the earth, or in Isaiah, he speaks about kings coming to the brightness of your dawn. I wonder if Isaiah, if there's almost a, an echo there of the wise men coming to Jesus. Theologian Richard Mao, he notes that ancient kings were respective representatives of their cultures. It's different how we understand it now. This is about the vast array of cultures and ethnicities that will be in God's kingdom and the wealth that they will add to that kingdom by their presence. It's not talking about material wealth and riches. It's the wealth of the nations of who they are. Why? They have intrinsic value. God created them. This just speaks to God's overflowing love for the nations. There's no closed gates to this city. Ultimate safety, ultimate security, not a single threat of violence. There's no border walls, there's no gate, there's no fences. Total inclusion. The heart of God that was spoken in his promises to Abraham is now fully realized in this city. Israel has become what God always intended for her. She is a blessing to all nations. So in the kingdom of God, there is zero room for any thought of ethnic superiority or supremacy. Zero. The body of Christ, we must stand against all racial division. Any systematic racism is, is opposed to the kingdom of God. There's not even a hint of that in the heart of God. Systematic racism, thinking that we're better than someone else, is just opposed to the heart of our creator. The heart of Jesus' command to love our neighbor, neighbor is racial and ethnic inclusion. We love one another. I remember being in India years ago and I remember one specific worship service that we were in. 
um, in an orphanage that we were uh, staying with in India, and it was full of, of Indian people and Indian children, and they were worshiping, and we were kind of there as the, the white people on the side watching all this happen, and it was so different, and yet it was so profoundly beautiful. Like I didn't understand a word of what they were singing, but you felt the presence of the Holy Spirit and the presence of Jesus, and I was like, this is what heaven is. This is what the new heavens and the new earth is. This is the inclusion of all the nations coming. And so we need to embrace and pursue racial integration in the body of Christ wherever we can because that's the telos of the heart of God. Fourth and final, the thing that we see here, that this city is full of the redeemed. Verse 27, nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anything, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. It, it's not suggesting that there's really a threat of this, that, that somehow those, those could enter it. Revelation 20 speaks of all sin being dealt with forever already. It's speaking to us now, and it's making us aware who will be present in this city and who will not be. Now, this can stir up concern and worry in people. Like, well, what, if, what if my name doesn't make it into the Lamb's book of life? Like, I don't, I don't know. What if, what if I'm not written there? We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of, the, of God's glory. The payment of this sin, it says in Romans, is death. But it also says in Ephesians, God being rich in mercy, even when we were still sinners, he made us alive with Jesus. God's grace offers us salvation. Isaiah 60, 21 there, it speaks of how then all your people will be righteous and they will possess the land forever. That links back to Psalm 37, verse 11, where it says that the meek will inherit the land or the earth. Jesus talked about that, Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the meek. Isaiah 60, uh, yeah, Isaiah 60, verse 22 says, or no, sorry, uh, Psalm, my notes are mixed up. Psalm 37, verse 22 talks about those the Lord blesses will inherit the land. So in Jesus, we're all blessed. Sermon on the Mount, where he talked about all the ways that we are blessed amidst all manner of struggle and persecution. If you are struggling, if you're, if you're experiencing tough things, Jesus says, you're blessed. You're blessed. If you are in Christ, if you have accepted Christ, if you follow Christ, you're in the book. And so, as we end this morning, I want to just ask, do we receive and embrace this as the very essence here of who gods are and will be? Do we, do we look at this reality in Revelation 21 and go, this is where we're heading. This is, this is who we are going to be. This is who we're becoming. Are we reminding ourselves of what is to come? living with this vision, cultivating it, preparing ourselves, pursuing practices and habits to stir longing and expectation for what is to come, the increase of God's kingdom in our lives. And implicit in this all is witness. 
It, it's not even a call to witness. It just is. Meaning that those who are in Christ witness with their lives. It just flows from us. It's not like, well, this group of people witness, but this doesn't. It's, it's a call. I don't know if I've received that call. It's not that. The call to be witnesses for God is we're the redeemed. It just is. We witness to the fact that we're saved and we, and we do it without shame. It just flows from us. We, we, we will reflect the image of our Savior because it's, profi- it's profound what's happened to us. We're going to dig into this more next Sunday because we're going to talk next Sunday about being a people for God's possession. I won't say where that's from. If you, you might know where that's from. We'll leave that there. But if you haven't made that decision to follow Jesus, I, I want to invite you this morning to pray with me to receive the new life found in Jesus. Right now, wherever you are, you can pray. God will come. He will make his home with you. He says in his word, you will know the presence of Jesus. You will know the peace, the joy, and love that comes from him. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we're in awe of who you are what you're doing, and what you will do. We want to thank you for your coming to this earth. We want to thank you that it was our only hope, that we had no other hope. We were dead, lost in our sin, and without hope. We had no future. But God, you were rich in mercy. And because of the great love with which you loved us, When we come to Jesus, we are made alive in him. And so we receive that this morning. Jesus, we repent of our sin. We repent of the wrong and the bad things that we've done. We acknowledge our need for a savior. We need rescuing. That we need to be redeemed. And we thank you, Jesus, that as we come, as we admit our sin and our brokenness, and our failure, that you clothe us with your righteousness, that we are made new in you. It's not about us. It's about you. It's about your righteousness. It's about what you have done. We ask that you'd fill us with anticipation and longing and hope for what is to come. Lord, that that we would be infused with this hope that is to come we'd be longing for the new heavens and the new earth. Along with John, we would say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Thank you, Lord, that you've forgiven us. You've set us free. We freely and willingly worship you.